Welcome back, and thank you for being here. We are on Sunday nights, as you likely know by now, studying a series called Unswerving, where we look at the pictures and the stories of faith of God's people uh, in the Old Testament. Now we're going back a little ways to the, the Old Testament, and we are looking at stories of unswerving faith. The people who had to trust God, had to persevere with God, and the lessons that we might learn from their story. I hope it has been a somewhat valuable endeavor for you. I know it's been a valuable endeavor for Doug because he picked a song that went right along with it. And that was Planning by the Holy Spirit. And we'll read the verses of the song that we just read, or I'll read and you'll listen. As you think about your church family, recall again these words. Sometimes we laugh together. Sometimes we cry. Sometimes we share together heartaches and sighs. Sometimes we dream together of how it will be when we all get to heaven, God's family. I love that song, and uh, in particular, it resonates with me tonight because of the character and the story we're going to look at. It reminds me that there is value in our story. All of us are playing out a story that God has for us. I like to think of stories like within books and we have different chapters, different characters, different lines of the plot, all working together. What's interesting to me is that God chose in his manifest wisdom to bring all those stories and tie them together in the body called the church. Now... The emphasis in what I'm going to loosely call cultural Christianity today is that that story should be the most positive, uplifting, successful, blessed, good story. That once you're in with God's people, uh, it's just nothing but up. And the storyline just goes like this. keeps getting better and better. Well, that's kind of flimsy theology. Because when you, when you are a part of God's people, all of a sudden your story starts to go downward, it can be troubling. So we've got to think about some of that and how God's working in it. And I think we're going to learn a lot of those lessons, hopefully, tonight uh, in our character that we're going to look at. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 has been our theme verse. The writer says, Let us hold unswervingly. To the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And it's not about, again, the promise. It's about the nature of the promiser and how faithful he is, not necessarily how faithful we are. And our character tonight is Joseph. If you'll turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to be reading just one verse, verse 22. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. This is one of those verses that sort of invites you to find out a little bit more, to think about uh, this story. Because if you don't understand the story of Joseph, that verse, just the one simple verse, does not make sense at all. 
It's talking all about the end of Joseph's life. And how in the world Joseph could predict or have faith and trust about what to do concerning his bones centuries later, where did that come from? Where that comes from is the story that he lived out over the course of his life. And that story is found in uh, starting in verse uh, chapter 37 of Genesis. So you can turn there if you like. This won't be a verse-by-verse exegesis, but we're going to give an overview of the story and then try to learn a few lessons. Psalm chapter 33, verse 11, the psalmist writes this. The plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart throughout all generations. As we think about our story, do you ever think that God is still working his plans, his purpose within you? I'm not sure if you, if you do or not, but the scripture says that's true. That God works in all parts of the story. The hills and the valleys, the good, the bad, and even the ugly. Sometimes we'll get a question uh, about some of these uglier parts of the Bible. Why is that in there? Why are where is there stories of uh, murder and, and rape and, and these terrible stories within a book? Uh, there, there are parts of the Bible that will never be read from a pulpit. Does that blow your mind? It blew my mind when I just really thought about it. As you read through the Bible, and you say, whoa, whoa, I've never heard a sermon about that. Well, duh, because <laughs> there's parts of it that's really X-rated. Why is that in there? Because God works in our stories. And not just through good, perfect, faithful people, but also through people with flaws, people with dysfunctional families, people who make poor choices and sin. God still works in it. And in that, in seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly of their stories, we need to trust him. We need to trust him that he's still working in our stories. The problem with cultural Christianity, the idea that that, uh, sort of the prosperity gospel, that if you do just do what God wants... Everything will be perfect. Is what happens when it doesn't work out? What happens when you get sick? What happens when you lose someone unexpectedly? How does that work? God needs us to trust him. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways... If you think of your life as a story, as a book, through every single chapter, when it looks hopeless, when it gets monotonous, when you wonder when the end's going to come, when it takes a sudden turn, in all your ways, submit to him. Some translations say, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your paths straight. So God works in all parts of the story, and God needs us to trust him. These two truths are going to be played out over and over again in Joseph's story. I hope you're still in Genesis 37. I know I gave you a few curveballs there in Psalms and Proverbs. But back to Genesis 37. 
we start out with, and there's probably, you could put a lot more events to this plot line, but I'm just going to put out three. The first is Genesis 37. At age 17, Joseph was the favorite of his father, Jacob. Uh, any of you 17-year-olds? Who's 17 down here? Anybody? Okay. Go ahead. Raise your hand if you're 17. Okay. How many of you are favorites in the family? Yeah. Okay. All right. All of you. Okay. So things start out pretty well. The scripture tells us that he's handsome, that he's the favored child. He gets, of course, to wear that, that colored coat. Um, and beyond just that, he's a man with a dream. He has this unusual dream. And uh, as good as those dreams seem, because it involves his siblings and his parents all bowing down, and I'm sure those of you who raised your hand have had similar dreams, that dream was going to get him in a lot of trouble. And it started out when the brothers, jealous as they already are of his favored position in the family, uh, they strip him and they dump him in a well and they sell him into slavery to their cousins, the Ishmaelites. And they, they tell their father that your son has been killed by a ferocious animal. If you stop the story right there, it seems kind of morbid and, and dysfunctional and sad. But God's still working. The second event occurs over chapters 39, 40, and 41. And this is where he's, what happens after the pit. He's sold into slavery to an Egyptian administrator named Potiphar. He rises to the top. Uh, he, he's basically given full control of the household of Potiphar. And then, because he's a good-looking dude, he attracts Potiphar's wife. Now, uh, he tried to play it well. He tries to be a man of character, integrity. You know, for Joseph, true love waits. But not so with Potiphar's wife. She was very persistent. And she tried to seduce him and failed. And then falsely accused Joseph of assaulting her. So he goes back to prison. And while in prison, Joseph begins to rise to the top again. He's no ordinary prisoner. People notice that when things are under Joseph's care, things get better. He gets sort of reputation for interpreting dreams and interpreting them correctly, which is the larger, more important part. And there's this phrase repeated over and over again through this story. These five words, the Lord was with Joseph. Now that story, chapter 2, you know, goes through some happy and sad and some ups and downs, but the consistent thing in there is that the Lord was with Joseph. Third event occurs in the last nine chapters of Genesis. It's Joseph's promotion and purpose. Okay, so the first was the pit. The second was the prison to the palace, back to prison. And the third was his promotion and purpose. You say, all those begin with the letter P. Why did you do that? Easy. Amazing, awesome alliteration. Pharaoh has some troubling dreams. And none of his wise men, none of his trusted men and, and dream interpreters are able to help him. And just so happens, 
that one of the, the cupbearer who was very close to him uh, saw this, knew about it, and remembered there was someone in prison who had helped him out. And so they bring Joseph in, and he cleans up, and he comes in before Pharaoh, and he interprets correctly Pharaoh's dreams and their meaning, and he gives him some advice. I'm not Pharaoh, but if I were Pharaoh, here's what I would do. Uh, Pharaoh's first dream, of course, is about uh, fat and skinny cows. And the fat cows, there are seven of them. They start out and then they're eaten, overtaken by seven skinny cows. The second dream, similar, but with heads of grain, seven healthy stalks of grain, swallowed by seven thin, scorched heads of grain. And Joseph says the two dreams have one meaning. God's still working his purpose here. And he says, you've got seven years that are going to be real good times. So you better plan ahead. And Pharaoh puts him in charge. He said, well, you've got this great plan. How about you execute it? So he does. See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Now, that's a pretty good story. God's still working in it. God's still with Joseph. But God was always with Joseph, whether it was at the pit or in prison or the palace or his promotion. God had a purpose for Joseph. Now, I overview that whole story to give us, hopefully, three simple lessons that will be helpful to you in your story. Number one... God's plan is greater than your plan. I have the visual up there that you've perhaps seen before, the way you envision things to work out, and then the way things actually work out. That's a pretty accurate story, certainly for Joseph. He had a lot. I mean, when he first had that dream that mom and dad will bow down at all my brother's who give me a hard time all the time, will be bowing down to me. You had to think, he woke up thinking, all right, (laughs) this is going to be pretty good. He had the top picture in mind. Victory was just a matter of time. Could he have seen God's whole plan? I wonder if he would have still been as enthusiastic about it. Joseph had the dream, of course, which wouldn't occur for many decades later, and through a lot of difficulty and pain and trial. And those aren't words we like to much hear, especially in church. You think, well, I've chosen to follow God. I have decided to follow Jesus. And we kind of sing that in an uphearted way that says, you know, from here on out, things are going to get better. But the song never says anything about necessarily being better. It just says, no turning back, no turning back. God was with Joseph, but God's plan usually is much longer and much more involved and detailed and has many more details that we would like to leave out. Ever wonder this? Why does God choose to go the long route with us? Whether it was with Joseph and how he went through his ups and downs, whether it was taking the Israelites through the wilderness, 
whether it was guiding them, whether it was working this whole process that they were going to bring about a nation, that would bring about a tribe, that would bring about a family, that would bring about a son. God works, and it just seems like the the top version would be so much easier. Just get to it. Just skip straight to, to Revelation 21. Just give us the son, give us the victory, and let us have it. But God has a purpose in the struggle. Think about the lessons that Joseph learned along the way. I mean, God could have just taken Joseph immediately. As soon as he woke up from a dream, uh, just taken him and put him in Pharaoh's household and some, given some sort of angelic anointing and listen to Joseph. And, you know, he could, he could have made that happen. But the lessons that Joseph would not have learned, that he did learn through his painful trials. He learned serving, he learned authority, he learned management skills, he learned interpreting dreams, he learned leadership, he learned resisting temptation, he learned integrity and character and trust and patience and forgiveness and faith. He learned that God was always going to be there with him. I think that's pretty good on-the-job training. As much as you want to plan your life, and I'm not talking to anyone in particular here except if I could just put a mirror right here. As much as you want to plan your life, God has a better plan for your life than you do. It will not be like you expect. It will not occur in the timing in which you think. But if you trust him, and only if you trust him, it will be far better. Secondly, God's timing is better than your timing. Joseph's entire story, I assume, could be read in under an hour. What we could read in one sitting, in a few chapters of our Bible, took 93 years to play out. Joseph had 21 years of hard, difficult, trying circumstances Until he got to the remaining 71. In Genesis chapter 37, verses 1 and 2, we're told that Joseph was a young man of 17. In chapter 50, Moses writes that Joseph died at the age of 110. And so after they embalmed him, and he was placed in a coffin in Egypt. I just hope that you'll consider the value of waiting. It's so very hard, especially the younger that you are, to have patience. My time is much different. My understanding of time is much different than my children. When I say, they say, can we go to the park, or can we go to the pool, or can we go to the splash pad, or can we go... Uh, get ice cream, whatever it is. I, I admit on the last one, I move a little faster. When I say yes, just a minute, I probably mean just a minute. But even if I do take only 60 seconds, it's that minute goes by much faster for me than it does for them. There's a popular verse around graduation time. You probably know it. Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11. Jeremiah 29, verse 11, it says, if you don't know, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. 
which is a wonderful thought, but that verse is so horribly out of context. If you just read the verse before and the verse after, we get a little bit of perspective. So follow along, Jeremiah 29, starting in verse 10. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come to me and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with your whole heart. Someone just graduated from high school. Here's Jeremiah 29, 11. Most cases they go, oh, that's wonderful. God's going to show me where to go to school. He's going to help me figure out what job to go into, how much money to make. Gosh, five, six years, God's pretty much got this lined out for me. And if you look at it in context, of course, he's in the Babylonian captivity speaking to Jeremiah, telling him to deliver this bad news. And they're woefully depressed and God says yes I'm going to work it out in about 70 years I mean can you imagine writing that on a graduation card congratulations God has wonderful plans for you we'll see what happens in about 70 years that's pretty biblically accurate though not nearly as tickling to the ears but it tells us something it tells us what we this, this idea we have of God, and this idea, I'm not just looking at you because you're the only ones that do it. We all do it. We are all ready for God to work yesterday. And God works so much more through the slow and the gradual and the seasons than he does the immediate. God's process is a crock pot and not a microwave. You can't rush it. And you wouldn't want to if you could. You think about this. Think about all the times when God's people got in trouble. And many times, more often than not, it was when they rushed God's process. We talked about Abraham. Think about Abraham, Sarah, and, and they had waited 25 years, which to me seems a fair amount. You know, that's a reasonable amount of time to wait. But no. They get into trouble because... They refuse to wait on God's timing. That's what gives uh, Ishmael and Isaac, and we haven't had any trouble with those groups since then. So when we get into trouble, has has more to do with our inability to wait on God's timing. And I know that's not a popular thing to preach, but the, the scriptures are clear Wait for the Lord, Psalms 27:14 says. Be strong and take heart and wait for the Lord. You do far better to wait upon God than you do to foolishly rush into it all by yourself. Because when God is with you, it goes far better. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8 says this. Do not forget this one thing, dear friends, with the Lord... A day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. 
Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. It's God's process that is more often the slow than the fast. Noah waited 100 years for the flood. Moses waited 40 years for deliverance. Jesus waited 30 years before he began ministry. Abraham waited 25 years for a son. Joseph waited 13 years before being in charge. If God's making you wait, welcome to the club. God has you where you are right now, wherever that is, for one purpose. To bring you where he needs you to be. And that may mean you need to be here and wait a little while. Could be five years, could be 50 years. God works in the slow more than he does the fast. First Peter 5, 6 says, humble yourselves. Is that so when we get in a rush, it has more to do with our pride and our arrogance. And our thinking we understand the timing and how things ought to work better than God. Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. God's timing is better than your time, so wait upon the Lord. Be strong and take heart and wait upon the Lord. The third lesson is that God's ways are better far than your ways. In Genesis chapter 50, toward the end of the story, Joseph says this. He's speaking to his brothers. He says, but Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done. The saving of many lives. This was, in my opinion, the best and greatest and final lesson of Joseph. It wasn't about all of Joseph's plans or his family's plans, his father's or his brother's or even Pharaoh's plans. It was that God's purpose would prevail, that God is in charge. And you think, gosh, that seems like an awfully simplistic lesson to to give to a Sunday night crowd, that God's in charge. But the funny thing is, I find more often that people of faith tend to forget this lesson many times, that God's in charge. He is greater than your plans and your dysfunction and your fear and your sins and your trials and your victories and your struggles. He will work it out. And when Joseph understood that, that's how we can go to verses 24 and 25 of chapter 50. Then Joseph said to his brothers this, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear on oath and said, Surely God will come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. That's beautiful. Joseph got it. He understood. It was, it was that God's purpose was going to prevail. And Joseph wasn't even going to be there to see it, but he knew it would prevail. And he knew that if God promised to take them 
to a promised land that was not Egypt, that they were going to leave. And whenever they left, that they needed to take him with them. He wanted to live even though he died with full assurance and full acceptance of God's most holy promise. Isaiah 55 verses 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We progress in faith and on our journey when we trust his ways over our own. Sometimes his way is harder, and that's okay. Even if it's harder doesn't mean that it's not better. Sometimes God puts us through difficult, trying, tough situations to bring us from where we are to where we need to be. This past week, Kayla Vega had a... uh, surgery on her ACL, and I was thinking about that and praying for her, and it occurred to me that, and this has happened to many of you in here, so it's not a a major thing, not even necessarily a major surgery, but what she allowed to happen was someone that she trusted to cut her so that he might heal her or she. It might be the same way with us and God. That when we trust him, sometimes he might have to take the thing which we love the most. He might have to cut our heart in places where we don't want to be cut. But it's only through that cut, it's only through those difficulties that we can find healing and pre- preparation for the next chapter. Romans chapter eight twenty eight says, We know in all things... God works for the good of those who love him. This coming week, Kayla is going to have physical therapy. It's not just enough to be cut, but now someone else, hopefully that she and her parents trust, is going to ask her to move her leg in ways that are painful. In the same way, God will ask us to do the same. Sometimes he calls us to do things which are difficult and uncomfortable and beyond our ability to fully understand. But we believe that God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God will use painful things and difficult times to bring you where you need to be. Please don't think that this means he loves you any less or his eye has forgotten about you. No, often it is proof of his love and his desire to bring you out of the pit and into the palace. He's still in charge, so trust him. Your story isn't over until it's over. And very few times, you know, in our home, we've recently replaced the carpeted flooring with wood flooring which has a lot of unintended consequences. One of those unintended consequences is hilarious to watch. Our little 
dog, Max, little Shih Tzu, is used to having carpet that his little claws dig into. And now he's got this wooden floor. And so everything from running across the floor to trying to jump onto the couch has become ten times as difficult. And as I was watching him jump and fail and jump and fail and laughing, it occurred to me a lesson in there. There is no progress or much less progress without a little friction. Friction is what allows us to move. Friction is what allows us to make progress. So don't ask God for an easier life. That may not be what you need at all. Ask God for greater faith to trust him when the times get hard and when the friction becomes heavy. Every chapter of the story is valuable. I didn't share this this morning, so I guess we can consider this part of the little insider's club. Uh, For the month of July, I'm going to be taking off a little personal vacation and using some time for studying, preparing for the remainder of series at the end of the year. And so I've asked Steve, and he's graciously agreed to preach on, on Sundays, mornings, and evenings for the month of July. And so I don't know exactly where he's going to take you, but I know it will be good. He has a great ability to bring the word in a common, effective way that we can all apply it. I love listening to Steve as much as anyone. So I look forward to hearing him both in the evenings and in the mornings, and I hope you will as well. The lesson is yours tonight. I hope that you have learned a little bit about your story from Joseph's story. And uh, if you've become convicted by the word or by the spirit that something needs to change in your life and you're ready to repent and you need some help, you need some encouragement, need some prayers, let us help you with that. Just come forward and I'll meet you down front. Or if you're ready to put on Christ, you don't yet know him, and you're ready to know him so that you'll be ready for eternity and put him on in baptism, then be happy to help you with that as well. Whatever your need is, come as together we stand and sing.